Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while Cy, the painters, are still at his house. An activity which was supposed to have concluded Wednesday of last week. However, it has extended not just to Thursday and Friday of last week, but right on up through today. There appears to be light at the end of this song, paint-covered tunnel, though. Alan may be back tomorrow. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it myself because today and Thursday were supposed to be sure things, but he probably will be back tomorrow. So uh, if not, you'll be here probably hearing my voice instead. Anyway, if Alan were with us today, he would give to you his mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our first and second amendment rights. The Alan Nathan show and its 25 years of being covered with paint has been a main street. Well, is a main street radio network production, but not throughout that 25 years, just for about 13 of them, 13 where you painted the town red and left the house unpainted, apparently. And you can go to MainStreetRadioNetwork.com to find out more about that organization. We appreciate their support. Some of their clients have been against the program, and some of the management has disagreed with the content, but they still have our backs. They don't try to cancel us or anything, and that's always great. And we want to thank the Salem Radio Network, too, for distributing this show. You can find out more about us at alannathan.com as well, and on Twitter at alannathan and the Main Street Radio Network. Then, not to be outdone, they have a Twitter page, too, at Main Street Radio, and they are on Facebook, Main Street Radio Network. And as for the Silker Joe Show, we are on Getter, G-E-T-T-R.com, at Silker Joe Show. Alrighty. Now, at this time, Alan would paint your minds with his pre-written topics, and I have some right here. Government continues spending and printing money as inflation rises. Is it because they get away with injustice that they think they are untouchable? And the government has gotten away with a bit of injustice. In fact, it seems to be a strong bias as to who the victims of these injustices are. Uh, for And corporate America, unfortunately, is climbing right back on them. In fact, we found out, New York Post reported on this, that uh, this group called the Human Rights Council are largely, in a, well, I don't know largely, but they are responsible for some of this stuff going on, like Budweiser adopting Dylan Mulvaney as their uh, as their spokesperson or whatever. You know, this whole campaign with with her, this trans person out of nowhere that they just decide to elevate to fame. I guess sending the message to people: Hey, if you come out as trans, you may also be suddenly with no qualifications whatsoever elevated to fame status and there has been a study done it was suppressed because it was called bigoted where if peer pressure actually plays a strong role in people becoming trans if they not might not necessarily be trans themselves they see their peer groups doing it they see how people are getting all this positive attention from coming out as trans so that they decide, you know what, I'm alienated, I'm alone, maybe I can fit in better with this group if I'm trans, and you know what, these people keep saying I'm trans anyway, so sure, might as well go hop on the bandwagon. And that's not necessarily the right thing for them to do, but in this society that we've built right now, that's what they're compelled to do almost in their quest for attention, for fame, to be heard. And dropping millions of dollars in the lap of somebody for just simply their gender, uh, that would seem to encourage this kind of behavior. So definitely, and as far as corporate America hating Christians, it's not necessarily that. It's uh, because of that Nashville shooting, where that clearly was a hate crime against Christians. No corporations bother to show solidarity. You know, same corporations who are taking up the trans mantle right now because it's such an oppressed group. When one of their members goes on a rampage against Christians, eh, nobody cares. Biden administration certainly didn't care. They were, even though they are wont to label many things as hate crimes, things that don't even exist, for example, like uh, the alleged incident where Border Patrol whipped illegal immigrants, they labeled that hate crime. It didn't actually happen, but they were the first ones to label it as a hate crime. Well, as it turns out, 
they don't really want to label the Nashville shooting a hate crime. In fact, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, she says they're not in the business of commenting on such matters, even though they comment anytime it happens, except now, because Christians were the victim. And I guess they just don't see it as a hate crime if you target Christians. And that is what this person, the Nashville shooter, did. That was in the manifesto. They had a strong hatred against Christians. They wanted to blow them away and succeeded in doing so. And the White House says that's okay. In fact, that's not, we're not going to say that that's a hate crime. In fact, we're going to say trans activists need to fight for their rights. They said that after the shooting, after it was known that that's exactly what this activist thought they were doing, fighting for their rights. And then the White House comes out and says, yes, you need to do exactly this. It's not the only part where they have this uh, blindness, though. Uh, there's a black man who ran down kids because they were white. No hate crime charges there. People who firebombed a pro-life pregnancy center will not be charged as terrorists under the FACE Act, even though the threshold for being charged as a terrorist under the FACE Act is yelling at a pro-abortion protester. That's all that's needed for the FBI to show up with guns at your house. Mark Halk found out about that. So with that low of a threshold, apparently firebombing is not enough. Seems like Democrats feel it's not a hate crime if they hate the victim. And in many of these cases, they do go after the victim, like the Pro-Life Pregnancy Center, for example, that was firebombed by liberals. That center was, days later, investigated by the liberal government of New York State. The liberal media and activist class told us that the Nashville shooter, they were the real victim, and the children she killed deserved it. And let me pause right there. Remember how CNN said whites were the biggest terror threat? Let's look at this. Four of the biggest mass shooters this year were trans. Four. Given how small the trans population is, that means a very disproportionate number of trans people were the shooters, if you look at the percentages. And a week after Nashville, a fifth member of the trans community was arrested, trying to plan a bomb plot against a middle school and shoot any of the kids that ran out, I guess. Again, media covered this while trans activists are sympathetic saying these butchers and wannabe killers just want to be heard. Like I said a moment ago, they just want to be heard. They're the real victims, not the children whose lives they ended. Well, most mass killers want to be heard. That's why they write manifestos. It seems that if you're trans, the media will even approve of your mass shooting and propagate your manifesto, and certainly the Biden administration will agree with it because they said they agreed with it all. Not directly, but they said they agreed with the same things expressed in it. And now you have the swimmer Riley Gaines, who was kidnapped by trans supporters. That's right. She was held hostage and they demanded ransom. That should be a, that is a crime under our law, but guess what? The activists got away with it because they were doing it for the right cause. So it's okay to hold people for ransom for the right cause. And I guess it's also okay. Why not? Because it's also okay to blow people's brains out apparently for the white co right cause. So why not hold them hostage too? demand money from them? Go right on ahead with that. And you can't really expect justice from this government. You might be wondering, well, gee whiz, how can these barbaric activities be going unpunished, whether it's by trans activists taking hostages and killing people, or just in general, people killing other people? Uh, how can self-defense, for example, be punished? Because that's what happened in Austin, Texas. There was an uh, incident in 2020 where a left-wing activist pointed a gun in someone's face, the activist was shot for pointing a gun in someone's face because that is a threat to your life when an assault weapon is pointed in your face. Not according to Democrats, though. They said that it was murder, that act of self-defense. That was plain, simple murder. It's okay for activists to put a gun in your face. You just can't shoot back. They can blow your brains out. They won't chase any charges for it. We've seen that already. We've seen that, in fact, that they'll have sympathy for the shooter. We saw that with the Nashville case. But... If you're a conservative and you protect yourself, well, you'll have the full weight of the law thrown at it. It'll be charged with murder. Luckily, the governor of Texas pardoned this person after this gross miscarriage of justice, but it shows what justice looks like to liberals. You should feel sympathy for the shooter if they're shooting Christians, but if the shooter is protecting themselves and happens to be Christian, well, then that's murder right there. If they protect themselves, if they stop themselves from being killed, it's murder. It's not self-defense. The, the right is not entitled to self-defense, according to Democrats, 12 Democrat jurors and a Democrat judge. So that is the state of justice as far as the Democrat side is concerned. And facts weren't good enough for the activists and the activist Soros-funded prosecutor in that case and the leftists on the jury. So 
I guess facts won't be good when it's your turn before one of these Soros-funded prosecutors in a heavy blue district. This is a strong argument to move out of any blue districts you're in. You're not going to get justice if you're a conservative. We just, like I said, they think that it's murder. If you, well, we saw that with the Rittenhouse case too, for example. We we have video guns being pointed at him, but he's not allowed to defend himself. That's what the left said. He wasn't allowed to defend himself. <laughs> and the the, the left-wing activists were allowed to point guns at him, but Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't allowed to defend himself. Now, we have the same situation, and we have the outcome of that if a left-wing jury had been there with Daniel Perry, where if a left-wing activist points a gun at you and wants to pull the trigger, you should just die. You're not allowed to defend yourself. That's murder, according to the left. Go figure. They really want to prosecute their political opponents, but we, we know this. We've seen polls about how much they hate their political opponents. They want to put, 40, 45% of them want to put us in concentration camps, according to a poll done last year. Folks, more Alan Nathan show after this break. New research released to mark the International Day of Math reveals that math is the subject most American adults say they're afraid of but it's also the subject they most want their children to be good at. So to help them support their children in building confidence with numbers, a new, fun and engaging computer game called Teach Your Monster Number Skills has hit the market. Junaid Mabeen is a math expert from Number Skills, and he says building your child's confidence from an early age is vital. Getting kids confident with numbers from a very young age is so important to their long-term success in mathematics. And the reason I use Teach Your Monster Number Skills with my own children is that it teaches them about numbers, about how creative and, and playful numbers can be. It's very fun and also educationally very powerful. You can download this great game today. Just search for Teach Your Monster Number Skills online. It's available on all desktop and mobile devices. Trust me, you won't regret it. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country, but unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States, including yours. But they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. 
Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Al Nathan Show. by Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while hopefully the painters finish up his house so that he can be back with you all tomorrow. We are joined now by Robert Romano, Vice President of Public Policy and Americans for Limited Government. Robert, always happy to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's great to be back, Joseph. All right. So, unfortunately, our national debt isn't doing so hot. We're at $31.4 trillion right now, and the gross interest owed on it just hit a trillion dollars. First time in history, but again, we're at historical highs for the debt anyway, so I guess this was only natural to happen. And this is coming in a period of high inflation and also high instability as to whether or not the dollar is going to remain the reserve currency, which would not be good for our debt. What's going on here? Well, uh, obviously, as the debt gets much larger, um, we're going to have to pay much more interest on it. We're paying about 2.8% average interest on the debt right now. Uh, and I mentioned that uh, one tr- in the piece that in 2024, uh, the gross interest will hit $1 trillion. Now, about $200 billion of that, though, um, gets knocked off the top because it's actually being paid into the trust funds of Social Security and Medicare. And there's about $76 billion that the Federal Reserve actually owns about $5.2 trillion out of that. So any interest that they collect is automatically remitted back to the Treasury. So because some of the interest payments actually flow into government coffers, the government sees fit not to uh, consider that to be an expenditure, even though usually you have to borrow money to meet that expenditure. Um, so when the trust fund uh, treasuries come due, for example, we, it, that money comes from the Treasury and we don't balance the budget, therefore we must borrow the money in order to pay for the Treasury interest owed to the Social Security and Medicare trust funds. But we are entering the period of time now um, that every fiscal conservative has always dreaded, um, which is the baby boomer retirement wave, where the amount of spending on Social Security and Medicare is going to keep growing um, by seemingly $100 billion every single year. Um, So going forward, uh, we're hitting $1.3 trillion on the Social Security budget alone. Uh, Medicare is going to be moving up to a trillion dollars by 2028 and so forth. Um, These spending uh, obligations are are massive. Um, So when everyone's looking for somewhere to cut in the budget, it almost would be completely offset by any increases that we're seeing on the mandatory side of the equation for Social Security and Medicare. And that is very, very alarming. We're at $31.4 trillion right now. But the national debt's been growing by more than 8% since 1980. Suffice to say, if it keeps growing at the rate, when you factor in recessions and countercyclical spending that government tends to do during recessions, um, that uh, you could see the national debt topping well north of $100 trillion in the next 15 years. I don't understand how the rest of the world is going to let us get away with that. And it seems as far as the reserve currency issue goes, they're taking actions to keep that from happening. Um, well, they actually have a dwindling share of the national debt um, compared to 2008 um, to today. Um, they were at about 30% um, holdings on the national debt. Now they own about 23% of holdings on the national debt. The slack has been taken up by the Federal Reserve um, in many respects, but also U.S. banking institutions, uh, financial institutions, that now the interest rates are rising, um, that they've been supposed, they're said to be sitting on about $620 billion of unrealized losses. So it seems that we've concentrated a lot of the treasury risks uh, away from foreigners and into our own banking system. So we might be about to find out whether that was a good bet or not a good bet, but also whether the the spending trajectory that we're on right now 
is at all sustainable because if we can't get the money from overseas and it, and it creates too much risk in our own banking system, well, then, you know, the Newt Gingriches and those who were pushing for balanced budgets all those years ago were 100 percent absolutely correct that, you know, a far more sustainable target in terms of spending, in terms of what we're going to do, was always going to be the, found, uh, the sound policy that we needed um, to kind of get us through the 21st century. So now we're, are we entering another type of financial crisis as these obligations mount and this treasury is that just gets larger and larger and larger. So if the rest of the world is going to inflate their currencies as much as we're going to need to inflate our currencies, um, then the dollar should remain relatively stable vis-a-vis foreign currencies. But if they're not going to do that, then we're going to be much, much weaker. We're going to be, uh, you know, we're, we're, how do you get up to $100 trillion? You're going to need to grow the economy by that much. You're going to, um, but what we're seeing right now, though, is uh, something of a divestment on the foreign side of it, uh, most notably by China, um, which has held about a trillion dollars worth of treasuries um, for many, many years, but now is down to about $800 billion of treasuries. And I'm going back through the data here to see the last time they were at $800 billion because uh, they had been holding t- to about 1.1 to 1 trillion, 1.2 back in 2014. Um, you have to go back quite a ways. I think prior to the financial crisis, for a time, yeah, uh, when it, when they were only holding about um, to 800 billion was in 2009. Um, you have to go all the way back to 2009 for China's um, holdings of U.S. Treasuries to be as low as they are today. As of January, 860 billion. January 2022, it was at 1033000000000 Wow. Now, as to the point you brought up that we need to get our economy geared up for that $100 trillion, um, are we really in a position to do that? At this point, we still have more than a third of the workforce that can work not seeking work according to the labor participation rate. So it really, it really looks like that we're not in a position to gear up this economy for any sort of uh, attempt to recover from this. Well, you, you have that problem of more retirees than, um, you know, more people retiring than there are people to pay into the system to keep that defined benefit system in place, um, in which, you know, it worked fine when the population was growing, but fertility um, has been well below uh, two babies per woman um, since the financial crisis. Um, and so we're, we're in a situation where we're having fewer children, therefore there's going to be fewer Americans entering the workforce over time. Um, and we're just hitting that period that's uh, about 15 years after the financial crisis when the people who would have been born um, during that time simply failed to materialize into the labor force at the same exact time that the baby boomers are retiring at mass and will be, you know, and that and will be continuing to pay for the Social Security and Medicare obligations for the boomers uh, going forward. Um, so basically, this is a problem of you know just not having enough kids. And in fact, it's in every single state across the union. We've previously done analysis showing that it's less than two babies per woman, even in places like Utah. Wow, yeah. They- Especially given Mormonism and the tenets of that religion, you'd think that there'd be a much higher fertility rate, especially in places like Utah. But that's an alarming trend that we're not producing enough kids. And then there's this whole idea that, uh, hey, if you have kids, you're going to destroy the environment and all of that. So don't have kids. And then there's this hopelessness about the future that's just playing into it. Well, I agree. Um, but uh, fertility has been collapsing ever since 1960 with the advent of birth control. And only during the great moderation of the 80s and the 90s did you see it pop up above two. But after the financial crisis, um, it's all been south ever since then. We're turning it into Japan. Mm. Uh, Robert Manu, Vice President of Public Policy at Americans for Limited Government. Appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show to talk about all this. Listeners, we got more show coming up after this break.
From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools... Suddenly, everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to the Al Nathan Show, everybody. Uh, you heard in the last segment about how run away our money problem is in this country, and you wonder how our leaders can sit there and turn a blind eye to it. Maybe it's just because they get away with turning a blind eye to a lot of things. Going back to the injustice that I was talking about in the first segment, you know, some other example here, the Soros-funded St. Louis Circuit Attorney uh, refused to charge the killer of a seven-year-old child despite the suspect's confession. In fact, they, this particular attorney also dropped the case against the suspect who shot another man in a tra- traffic dispute in broad daylight. It's on camera, but they dropped the charges anyway. You know, you wonder, the left keeps demanding more and more gun control, yet they don't actually prosecute anyone who uses a gun in violence. Like you have the district attorney Bragg, the one prosecuting Trump in New York City, thinks that armed robbery should be a misdemeanor, which means you wouldn't lose the right to have a firearm if you got charged for it. And then now, now you have this uh, Soros-funded St. Louis uh, attorney who has uh, decided that just shooting someone in traffic, that's okay. It's not misuse of a gun at all. Just random violence is just perfectly fine. So you wonder why there's still plenty of gun crimes, plenty of criminals with guns out there. It's because these guys aren't doing their jobs right. Uh, there's been instances before where we found that uh, shooters would have not had their firearms if the government had functioned properly and taken them away as it should have under the laws we have. And then Illinois, for example, they have a alarming number of people who under Illinois laws shouldn't have a gun that have it anyway and no one cares. And yet the left calls for more gun control because <laughs> as if they're going to bother enforcing it against criminals any more than they are now, the only people they seem to enforce it against are law-abiding citizens. They, they're the only ones who are going to lose their firearms under this. Meanwhile, going back to this whole unequal justice thing, there's a new film that just came out. It glorifies left-wing terrorism, with major news outlets raving over its message and actually hoping it inspires terrorist attacks. It's a film about environmentalists, neco-terrorists, bombing a pipeline. And it got rave reviews, I tell you what. But none of that would actually be considered a crime if a pro-life but if a pro-life man stops a left-wing nut from screaming at his kid the fbi shows up at his door with guns as happened to mark how again trans terrorism eco-terrorism antifa terrorism unfortunately behaving as terrorists while locking up their political opponents seems to be the goal of democrats you know i've been listening to their pundits and reading their comments it's not isolated it's not a tiny majority it's a strong solid voting base and again polls have been done showing that this is kind of their thinking there's the poll rasmussen poll from last year that i keep mentioning something like almost 60 percent of the party believe that if you said the wrong thing about the covid vaccine you should be fined or imprisoned or something 45 percent thought that if you were unvaccinated you should be in a concentration camp this is mainstream thinking in the party even though there's no reason why someone who's unvaccinated would be in a concentration camp we know vaccines don't stop covid from spreading so an unvaccinated person spreads it just as much as a vaccinated person yet facts didn't enter into it for the leftists and just like with the case of the sergeant daniel perry in texas austin texas who faced a leftist uh, district a leftist prosecutor a leftist uh, ju- jury and they found him guilty of living when a left-wing shooter tried to kill him. That's what his crime was. He did took steps that would allow him to live when a left-winger pointed an assault weapon, of all things, in his face. So, but speaking of small groups committing disproportionate amounts of crime, despite there being more black-on-white hate crimes than the other way around, the DOJ insists whites are the terror threat. And just, well, we saw that, she was in the Nashville shooting, as I mentioned before. A trans person decided to shoot white Christians, and the media said the trans person was the victim, not the white Christians. And the White House actually said that the trans community should be fighting for their rights in the wake of this. The The trans shooter said that they were doing this to fight for their rights. And the White House said, yes, go fight for your rights, trans people, as this mass shooter had just did. And this was actually their statement in the wake of it. It seems to be in agreement with it, solidarity with it. Meanwhile, though... Not so much if you're uh, white. For example, uh, aside from the fact that there's more black and white hate crimes than the other way around and the DOJ insisting that whites are the real terror threat, in Oklahoma City University, a student hung up signs saying it's okay to be white. That's all the sign said. It's okay to be white. 
And, you know, this is in the midst of Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter, etc. Well, guess what happened to the student who put up the It's Okay to Be White sign? First of all, they were expelled by the college, but then the FBI investigated him as a terrorist. Meanwhile, Democratic commentators that I've seen are in favor of this and see nothing wrong with this. Is it just the voices on TV and the web? Let's, you know, again, there's those polls that show the strong hatred of the political opposition that I mentioned. 45% of the unvaccinated in concentration camps. You should be busted if uh, 60% say you should be arrested or fined horribly or something if you dare to speak against their agenda about the COVID vaccine, if you dare speak facts about it. Polls about Trump's indictment show the Democrat voters know it's political, but don't care. They just want the opposition destroyed. They live in their own misinformation bubble, so maybe it's no wonder. For example, Democrats believe that Ron DeSantis ordered the head of his opposition in Florida arrested. What actually happened was a bunch of Democrats in a local police district decided to arrest a Democrat. <laughs> they want to talk about insurrections. Well, Democrats in Tennessee's legislature, actual Democrat politicians in the legislature advertised and led an insurrection, what the Democrats had hitherto called an insurrection. Well, Democrats are now pissed that their members are the, the, who led the in, in insurrection were expelled. Two of them were. Now, remember, same Democrats who say GOP members that had nothing to do with January 6th should be expelled over that insurrection. Yet here, it's okay if Democrats lead one. No problem. The Biden administration even declared support for this insurrection much as the Biden administration in the wake of the Nashville shooting said they support the fight for trans rights, just like the Nashville shooter. I'm beginning to suspect that the January 6th false flag was designed specifically to justify left-wing insurrections like we've seen, not just in Tennessee, but in many other places since 2020. State legislators being chased out by mobs of leftists, sometimes armed. All that is okay, retroactively in some cases, because of January 6th. The problem is January 6th would not have happened had the federal government and Capitol Police not orchestrated it. You've seen the footage. Doors to the building are opened. People later identified as federal agitators planted into the crowd lead people into the building. Police even shove people into the building. Meanwhile, outside, police beat up an old woman, which led to one of the riots you saw footage of. Of course, you don't see the federal agitators, whose numbers include FBI and DHS officials. You don't see police beating up old women and firing randomly into crowds to, to start the riots. You just see the results of their agitation. It's the same tactic the feds have been using for decades, by the way, to push whatever agenda the bureaucracy has against its political opponents. They have their own people fabricate a crime and snare whoever they can find in it. January 6th was just another example of that. And that is why it is very dangerous if you're a conservative to hold a rally or a protest. You don't know how many federal agitators are going to be in the crowd. <laughs> Excuse me. And you know that there's going to be someone in the crowd and you know the media is on standby and they're not going to report that it was a federal agitator that started throwing the punches or whatever. They're going to say it's the right. They're going to paint the entire right with that smear. But that's how it works. It's how the FBI has worked for decades during the civil rights movement, for example. They weren't too, the FBI wasn't too fond of the uh, civil rights movement, so they actually had f agitators in those crowds and they spied on everybody. They spied on Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, they had lied about Martin Luther King Jr. to Jackie Kennedy, the uh, wife of former President John F. Kennedy, who was assassinated. The FBI outright lied to her so that she could make a public statement condemning Martin Luther King Jr. Not only that, but the FBI made it its business to fund the most radical section of the of the civil rights movement, the most radical ones. That's uh, how you ended up with that holiday Kwanzaa. The FBI funded this absolute, the nuttiest, craziest person they could find because they wanted to discredit the movement. So this is not the first time the FBI has done such things. In fact, in 2015, CNN, of all people, they reported on how the FBI radicalized someone to commit a crime and then arrested the person after that crime had been committed. I believe it was a terrorist attack that killed several people. Well, the FBI got their man after they created their monster. And that's why conservatives, again, should be very careful because now they're the targets. Now they're the ones who are being that the FBI is turning its weight against. And the left is OK with it. They have no problem with it. But is that really surprising? They have no problem with the Nashville shooter. Again, they think those Christians deserved it. Just ask them. They had no problem with 45% of them have no problem with concentration camps for the unvaccinated. So why would they have a problem with the FBI persecuting their political opponents? They wouldn't. There's no reason for them to. And how can you say that this is just a tiny minority 
when they're everywhere, all over the news, all over the polls. Like I said, the polls showed that they are all in favor of this highly political Trump indictment, indicting him for some crime that happened in 2016, you know, two years after the statute, the statute of limitations would have ran out in 2021. So we got an extra two years added to that, which maybe they could justify, maybe they can't. Their New York law is nebulous on that. And at this, even at that, this alleged crime is something that Democrat politicians regularly do, something that Congress regularly does, something Congress has a slush fund for. But no, arrest Trump by any means necessary, and who cares that that same district attorney, who they voted for because he would destroy Trump, also destroys the city by not prosecuting crimes, who thinks armed robbery is a misdemeanor. Okay? This is the kind of nutcases that you're dealing with. They actually voted and got their vote for somebody who is insane like this. Unequal justice. More Alan Nathan show after this break. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his his first first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. 
Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time, ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Survey. Thank you for sticking with this show despite Alan's absence. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan. Should be back tomorrow, we hope. Uh, if he's there too long, he'll probably have permanent brain damage from all the paint fumes going through his house. Anyway, uh, as I was talking in the last segment about this unequal coverage of the Nashville shooter, how the shooter is the victim and the, the real victims who are dead are the actual transgressors, well, Israel has been putting up with that kind of lopsided media coverage for decades, and right now, Lebanon has just shot rockets into them. So joining us now to talk about this, we have Gerard Felitti, old friend of the show, senior counsel with the Lawfare Project. He is a terrorism and foreign policy expert as well. Gerard Felitti, happy to have you again. How are you today? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. So what's going on with the situation with Israel? Why is Lebanon firing rockets into them? Well, Lebanon has always been a proxy for Iran, and they allow Hezbollah, Hamas, and other terrorist organizations to run loose throughout the country. Their government essentially is Hezbollah, so they have no problem listening to Iran when it comes to uh, the fight against Israel. They allow now Hamas to launch rockets from their seven locations. We've also seen rocket attacks lately from Syria in the last few days, uh, again, by sponsorship of Iran. Uh, And that's what also we're seeing from Gaza, rockets launched by Hamas, which are provided by Iran. So no matter which country you look at that these attacks are coming from, the, the common cause is Iran. And it puts Israel in a bit of a situation there because they're surrounded by enemies, it looks like, and Iran is the biggest uh, transgressor. Does Israel have any plans for dealing with that? Well, they're surrounded by they're surrounded by trans- these these forces, these proxy forces that have traditionally been supported by Iran, and they're proxies of that government. The problem is that they are not. The Israeli government is losing the battle on public relations. They are losing that to to the Palestinian forces, which are essentially claiming to be victims when they are in fact the attackers. And you, you mentioned this at the top of the segment. It, it's really a matter of media coverage showing one side, not very flattering of Israel, basically accusing Israel of provocation and escalation when that is the furthest thing from the truth. So in the battle against Iran, Israel can do a lot to defend itself, but it is locked to some extent by public opinion in the West, which is being shaped by the very forces that are out to destroy Israel. Uh, Do you see then the Biden administration upholding America's role in defending Israel that we've had historically, uh, even uh, during the Obama years, uh, despite public backlash against Israel, we still at least did something to help them. Uh, But with the situation having going the way it is right now, do you see it, any, any continuance of that assistance? Well, to some extent, Biden has said the right things or the things that we expect him to say about support for Israel and, and protecting our allies and friends there. The flip side of that, however, is that he is, again, willing to enter into deals with Iran that free up money from sanctions to give Iran the opportunity to build weapons, uh, provide Hamas and Hezbollah with, with sources of funds to continue attacks on Jews in Israel and on American interests around the world. So on the one hand, Biden does say the right thing, that he supports his administration, supports Israel. On the other hand, you know, he is not doing all that he can do to curtail the flow of financing to terrorist organizations from Iran and other countries. And we are at a rather dangerous situation with Iran because 
even under Obama's very generous nuclear agreement uh, 10 years ago that we never followed through with, Iran right about now would be coming up with nuclear weapons. So given that they didn't have the lax constraints of that agreement, that they must have nuclear weapons at some point, it that stands to reason it might end up in the hands of some of those terrorists who are attacking Israel if Iran really wanted to escalate things. Well, that, that's exactly right. If left unchecked, there is no doubt that Iran will at some point in the near future develop nuclear weapons. In fact, a few months ago, it had enriched uranium to, I think, 86 or 88 percent, which is as near weapons grade as makes no difference. And at the, that rate, even a dirty bomb would be devastating. And Iran wants nothing more than to put one in Israel, than to, to destroy uh, you know, Israel and American interests in that region. The fact that we're dealing with them still, offering them money, offering them promises of, of future financial deals to not build nuclear weapons is kind of laughable because they're doing that, whatever we may say. We need strength and we need unity in the international community against them, not, not weakness by offering them deals or offering to rescind sanctions. Now, is there, like, as far as the national community goes, or international community goes, is there a sort of willingness to believe the anti-Israeli propaganda because... That, that we've been seeing it for decades now, and I just have to imagine, has anyone really, that there's a lack of interest in getting the other side of the story? Because the sentiment against Israel is very and great. There's a lot of, of anti-Israeli sentiment out there. Well, that's, that's exactly the problem. For, for decades now, the anti-Israeli sentiment has gone largely unaddressed. We're seeing it financed by Iran. We're seeing it financed by Qatar. We're seeing it financed by traditional enemies of Israel, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, who are willing to destroy Israel and, and the Jewish state at any cost. And this has really gone unopposed to the West. It's gotten to the point that they are indoctrinating students in U.S. schools, in colleges, and now even on high schools to believe that Israel is some sort of an evil country. And we're doing less and less to fight it, even domestically. You know, we, we should be having more discourse on anti-BDS laws. We should be having more discourse on supporting Israel and, and the rights of Jews to their ancestral homeland. Instead, that dialogue is captured and stolen by foreign interests who are out to destroy Israel as the homeland of the Jewish people. Right, and we have members of Congress who have engaged in this anti-Israeli rhetoric as well, pro-BDS movement and all of that. And it's alarming when you think that a majority of various districts managed to elect, in several different districts, the same breed of anti-Israeli congressperson. Well, it's not just anti-Israeli, it's anti-Semitic, because at the core, we've changed what anti-Semitism is. It's no longer, you know, we're no longer, it's easy to look at right-wing nationalists, at white supremacists, and say, that's what anti-Semitism looks like. But the modern face of anti-Semitism is in the disguise of liberal movements that talk about progressive rights, that talk about indigenous rights, but they only focus on the Palestinian people and not the Jewish people. So kids today, they're, they're influenced by this. They see their elected officials buying into it and propagating these lies that Palestinians somehow have a state that was stolen from them, that Israel is an apartheid state. These are lies that are going unaddressed, that they're being, they're being repeated by elected officials, they're being repeated by media figures, by celebrities, by the Bella Hadids of this world that have millions of followers on social media, but there's little done in the effort to teach the truth, to explain that this is far from reality. So people are falling under the sway. They're not seeing Israel as the ancestral homeland of the Jews. They're not seeing Israel as our only true ally in the Middle East. And they're allowing countries like Iran, Qatar, enemies of democracy and freedom, to win these propaganda points and change the face of the Middle East. Right. And they're worried about foreign interference from Russia in our country, yet here they are letting these people who are just rabid anti-Semites win the propaganda war because that's why they one of the big reasons why they hate israel it's it, old ancient islamic versus uh, judaism conflict that's absolutely right and that that will continue until the point that we can all stand united and say no and fight this jew hate that's permeating modern society mm -hmm. gerard Felitti, appreciate you being on the al nathanson again listeners he's a senior counsel with the lawfare project and we are done with you for today by that music. Done with you for this hour of the program. MainStreetRadioNetwork.com is our website. You can go check us out there. Find out about this my show, The Silver Joe Show, on there as well. Alan Nathan is also at AlanNathan.com and on Twitter at Alan Nathan. Be seeing you.
The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.